plenty of meat served up on the table this morning as we sing and worship the Lord. As we continue moving forward, see what I did there? We, uh, we're going to go to Psalm 78. You say, well, that's, that's not uh, the story of the Exodus or it's not even Leviticus or Numbers. But it is a summation, if you will, of their journey. And we're going to look at it today and maybe in a, uh, the weeks to come. But as you turn your Bibles to Psalm 78, the title of the message this week is Forward Looking, Backward Learning. Forward Looking, but Backward Learning. You know, throughout the Old Testament, there are many times where God would meet with His people. We see over and over and over where God did great things. And to mark these great occasions, the people would build an altar or set a stone as a continuing witness of God's greatness over the situation and His goodness to them. 1972, 1983, 1989, 97, 99, 2005, 2011, 2020, and many, many others in between. Those are some dates that resound in my heart of what God has done and markers set up in my life of God's realness and God's goodness to this old country boy. There are just a few of the milestones in my life where God radically worked in my life. And today, I want to ask you, what did God do that would change your life? When were your milestones? Right now, can you think of a milestone? Can you think of a place? Listen, many of us, as this picture right here, where we can look and see, looking out over the vast expanse of the wilderness, we can know by looking backward at the wilderness that we've come through that God will direct us to be what He would have us to be. And we're challenged. You know the old saying of those who do not learn from the past are doomed to repeat it. So as you respond and with your recollection, remembering the milestones, remember and ask yourself, did God truly change my life? And if not, it was not on Him, but it was on you. Today we look back at some of these milestones of the Hebrews and remember what God did and how the people responded. And did they learn from them? Do we learn from them? In Psalm 78, verse 1. Psalm 78, verse 1. I want you to look with me. The psalmist says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable I will utter dark sayings 
of old. Now we know according to the New Testament, when Jesus would issue a parable, they'd say, how are we to understand that? And he explained that those who knew him and knew God would understand. And so he gives them a parable here. He said, I'll open it and we'll utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and which we have known. And our fathers have told us we will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. It's one thing to sing and to talk and say, oh, God is good. God is so good. God is so good to me. How is God good to you? And do you stop to meditate on how good God has been? And to learn from that and to grow in faith in the nurture and admonition of the Lord so that when we face the next trial, the next tribulation, we, we may be able to say, God was with me then. He said he would never leave us nor forsake us. God will be with me now. God will be with me tomorrow, no matter what it may hold. I don't know about you, I need that. I need that on a daily basis to go back to 1972 and say, God save me. I did not save myself. I did not go looking for God. God came to me. God saved me. In 1983, after a two-year wandering in my own wilderness of nothing but misery and rebellion, God began to use me in a pulpit. In 1989, as God led me to the wife, that I married and began a family in 97 and 99 when our children were born, when the world says can't happen. In 05, moving away from anything and everyone we know and then to have a child drastically ill and to see God do a great work. In 2011, when I stood in this pulpit right here and was voted in as the next pastor, at Eastside Baptist Church and in and through 2020 and shutting things down and canceling things and God still poured out his blessings on me on Eastside and on you and may we not be caught up in all of the negativity may we reflect back and tell our children's children may we issue these dark sayings of old that our God was real to us. Now I want to begin by looking at this journey and how it began. I was reading in Genesis this week and it still always makes me mad, makes me excited. I mean, I go through the gamut of emotions when I read the great story of the servant Joseph. His brothers hated him. They were jealous. They sold him, someone to kill him, but thank good for old, oldest brothers. He said, no, we're not going to kill him. We'll just sell him. 
We'll sell him and we'll take and drench his coat in blood and tell daddy that he's dead. And every day, now I want you to think about this, every day of their life until they realized Joseph was alive and took word to Jacob, every day of their life they got up looking into the sorrow of their father's heart. They went to bed knowing his heart was broken and knowing that it was because of their lie. I want you to ask yourself, are you breaking the Lord's heart today because the lie that you're living rather than surrendered completely and totally unto him? And so Joseph and some of the most powerful words issued out of all the scripture is found in the last chapter of Genesis. After all this has happened, they went back and forth and they brought Benjamin and then they had to go tell their daddy and all of this stuff. We see his humility as he runs away to weep and then he comes back, has this meal and privately says, I'm your brother. And they were worried for their own life. And they said, oh, he surely will slay us now. And he said, listen, he did not okay what they had done. Always remember that. He didn't justify it or rationalize it. He didn't okay it. But what he did say was, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I don't know why the things are happening in the world the way they do, but one thing I do know, if we will open our eyes and pay attention, it will be a milestone in our life that we can look back and say, God did that. And God used it for his honor and his glory. And so Joseph became number two in all the land of Egypt, and Jacob, or Israel, survived because of Joseph. But over 400 years later, the current administration had forgotten Joseph. And so the Hebrews had become slaves in this land. They had moved to the land of Goshen. Here in Psalms, it calls it the land of Zoan. It is literally kind of a, uh, a descriptive of the whole land of Egypt much like the city of Pharaoh, is Egypt. And so they were there, having moved over 400 years before. And they were being mistreated and beaten down. And oh, they cried day and night, Oh God, have you forgotten me? I don't know about you, but I've had that prayer. There's been moments in my life where I cried out, Lord, where are you at? Always remember this, as I've said before, God may be silent. God's never absent. God may be silent. For 400 years between the Old Testament and New Testament, God didn't speak a word. Did God cease to exist? Did he go on a trip? We know that Elijah tells us he doesn't vacation. He doesn't sleep. He didn't have to go off and tend to something. He was not in the hospital, out of pocket, couldn't get cell service. God simply was quiet. But he was not absent. 
For God began, continued to work as He always had. And so now they're in Egypt. They're under this great bondage. They cry out. Moses has a crisis of faith because of his own rebellion and his own pride and arrogance. And he kills a man and has to run every post office in Egypt had Moses' picture on it. It said, wanted, dead or alive. And so he runs to the backside of the desert to get away. And he thought he was just escaping Pharaoh, but he was running from God and God's call on his life. But I'm here to tell you today, you can run from church, you can run from your spouse, you can run from the police, you can run from everything, but you'll never run to a place that God can't find you. God spoke to him by name, called him out of a burning bush, sent him back to Egypt and told him to go into the house of the man who had the warrant for his life and tell them that God said, let my people go. First of all today, I want you to look at how we must remember our Egypt. He said in verse 12, of Psalm 78, marvelous things he did in the sight of their fathers, in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. Marvelous things. Now I want you to think about it. It didn't sound too marvelous that they were slaves. It didn't sound real marvelous that when Moses started saying, let my people go, that they increased their workload and decreased the amount of supplies. It just got hard. The more they tried to do what God wanted, the harder it got. There's a lesson in that, church. Serving the Lord is not for the faint of heart. But I want to ask you, has God ever in His Word given you a permission slip to take time off. God has called us to be His followers and to serve Him every moment of our lives. You see, we remember our own Egypt as they did. David looked back at their Egypt. What was it? They were trapped in bondage. They were trapped. There was no way out. Every time I watch some historical program or read a, a book dealing with the Holocaust, I'm always overwhelmed that there will be six or eight guards and 6,000 Jews. And I think, why didn't they just all band together? Yeah, a few of them probably would have died. But they could have maybe overwhelmed those soldiers, those guards, but yet they didn't. And six to seven million died, trapped in bondage. But you see, God saw them. God heard them. I don't know about what you're going through in your life right now. But I know God sees you and God knows. Can you remember a time where you were trapped in the bondage of sin with no hope and no help, dying on your way to a sinner's hell? 
And Jesus saw you. God saw you. And even from Calvary, God loved you and sent his son to die that you may be set free. In the midst of your bondage, God loved you. They had rebelled. They had neglected. They had done anything and everything to fall away from God over and over and over. If you read the Old Testament, it's overwhelming to see how many times God did things in their life and they turned back. We will get to that maybe next week. But the truth is, how many times has God done something real in your life only for you to turn around and forget it? To go complaining, oh God, where are you at? I'm right where I always have been. Listen, trapped in bondage, God saw you, but helpless. They were helpless. They didn't have weapons. They had tools that were the Egyptians. They didn't even have enough straw to make the brick when Moses began to cry, and God used them to fulfill it and to do what needed to be done. God not only sees us, but God sent for us. Do you remember that moment, that exact moment that God spoke to your heart and says, I've sent my son to die for your sins? Do you remember it? Stop and think about that for a minute. And all the worry of COVID, all the fear of failure, and all the confusion of politics and everything else, scrape it all the way away put it away from your mind and your heart right now and sit you in the middle of an empty room in your heart and your mind and remember when God came into that room and says I love you and I have sent my son Jesus said I came into the, this world because my Father loves you and I love you. Paul said he was sent into the world to save sinners of whom he said was the chief. He didn't know me. Jesus was sent for you and me. Not Buddha. Not Hare Krishna. Not the greatest of evangelists. My friends, as wonderful and as much good that Billy Graham did in the power of the Lord, he wasn't sent to save sinners. He was sent to point at the Savior. God sent for you personally. You didn't get it by osmosis. You didn't get it because you sat beside somebody. And if you're here lost today, I want you to understand the greatest truth of them all. Jesus died for you. And the only way to be saved is through him personally repenting of your sins, falling before his face and confessing him to him and say, Lord, you're my only hope. You're the only way. Forgive me of my sins. Rush into my life in that which is dead and give me life. Lord, save me. Trapped in bondage, God saw you. Helpless, God sent for you. Listen, Moses was a shadow and a type of Jesus. God sent Moses to lead. God sent him. 
One who had left there and went all the way to the backside of Moab, God brings back to Egypt under the threat of death to remove them from that bondage. God, in the person of Jesus Christ, made lower, of, lower than the angels. One who is thought it not robbery to be counted as equal because he is. Left heaven, born of a virgin into real flesh and blood. Jesus really hungered. Jesus really thirsted. Jesus really was heartbroken. Jesus really wept. And Jesus really died. Moses was only a picture. Joseph, the servant, was only a picture of one who would suffer for his, his people. But Jesus was the fulfillment of it all. But you see, for some of us here today, in remembering our Egypt, you need to remember those moments of hopelessness. Do you remember being hopeless? And it was at that moment that you humbled yourself, broken, without any kind of help or hope, and you surrender. You say, God, I can't do it. I can't go another step. I can't go any further. And you cried out, Lord, save me. It's the Jonah prayer sinking. It is in the, in the belly of the whale. It is Peter on the Sea of Galilee. It is that prayer that we must pray, Lord, I'm sinking. Lord, save me. And the Hebrew cried over and over and over, Lord, save me. And you remember that last of the plagues? Remember the plagues, right? Kids, y'all remember the plagues? So what were some of the plagues? The what? Frogs and lice and hailstones and the bloody water, all of that. But you know what the last one was? The last one was what they still celebrate today, the Passover. The Passover, that's right. Hey, listen, if y'all need to learn something, y'all need to go get them and they'll, they'll sign, up, sign you up for a mentorship and they'll help you. Listen, the Passover. Now, remember what he said? God told Moses, Moses told the Hebrews, said, everybody get in their house, don't move around. Kind of like Sunday afternoons used to be back in the day. They didn't, our parents didn't want any noise. You can stay in the yard and stuff, but they, we don't want a bunch of noise and carrying on on a Sunday afternoon. You don't, you don't go doing all this stuff and running off, and you don't pump gas, you don't buy groceries on Sunday. My granddaddy's probably going to whip me when I get to heaven. You didn't do all that stuff. He said, stay in the house. And take hyssop, take a bowl, and you're going to offer a sacrifice before God, a blood of a lamb. And you're going to dip that hyssop in it. And when you dip it, you're going to strike it on the post on both sides of the door and across the lintel or across the very top over the door. And when the death angel, and he's coming, by the way, you can deny it, you can... Try to outrun him. 
You can try to outthink him, but he's coming. And he's coming tonight. And if the blood is applied, he will simply pass by. But on the house where the blood is not applied, there shall be death. Great sorrow. My friends, there was a hopeless day in our life where the death angel resided in our spirit and in our flesh, dead in trespasses and sins. And when you cried out, Father, I'm hopeless, the blood of the Lamb was struck over the doorpost of our heart and through the precious, sinless blood of the Lamb, the death angel now can only pass by. I don't know about you, that sets me free. Are you hopeless, helpless? You need to remember your Egypt. They got outside and they forgot to the point that they said, we want to go back. In the Bible, in the New Testament says, as a dog unto its own vomit. We would say as a hog back to its own mud hole. You can clean it up, put lipstick on it. That hog's going back to the mud hole. And so often in our lives, God is radically changed. And if God changes it, it's going to be radical. So a lot of our adjectives don't really fit because God's just awesome in all things. He's God. I mean, what else can you say? God is God. And yet, we forget. Listen, the past is to be learned from, not lived in. Oh, if we were only back in Egypt, we wouldn't be hungry and we wouldn't be thirsty and I'll do all that next week. Listen to me. The past is to be learned from, not lived in. The past is where you learn the lesson. The future is where you apply the lesson. Huh? Huh? I didn't come up with that. It was anonymous, or I'd tell you who wrote it. But I will not claim it, but I'm going to try to live by it. The past is when we learned our lesson. The future is when we ought to apply it. Number two, remember your Red Sea. All right, so they're out, out of Egypt. They're right on the border of getting out, you know. They're fleeing the field of Zoan. They're leaving Egypt. And there they stand. Y'all, I mean, can you imagine? Y'all ever been to the lake? Y'all been to the lake? Big, huge lake? A little scary if you stand there and just look at it without a boat or without life preservers and all that, and you're like, wow, it's a big old lake. You ever been on Lake Lanier? Anybody been on? Man, that thing is humongous. It's one of the biggest reservoirs in America. Uh, it's unbelievable. There's whole cities when they flooded that lake. Cemeteries and cities that are under that lake. Roadways and stuff that are under that lake where they flood. It's huge. Well, they're here on the verge, on, on the banks of one much like that called the Red Sea. And so many times in our life we've been on the edge 
in our Red Sea moments where we look out and it's absolutely terrifying. What am I going to do? That's an obstacle that cannot be removed. Look at verse 13. He divided. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Doesn't make sense to us. How many of you would have said, hey, I'll just split Lake Lanier and get over on the other side? No. You see, we must trust in the ability of the things we can't even imagine by trusting God is who He says He is. Listen, remember your Red Sea. Number one, there's no way over. But He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. And He made the waters stand up like a heap. Just it's so cool. To me, I, you know, I like looking at old movies and some of that stuff. Ten Commandments is, you know, it's an epic. What they would call an epic with all the big names and all the big stuff and so many people in the movie. In a day where special effects were, was terrible, terrible, watch an old Godzilla movie. I mean, terrible. You know, when somebody with a string is hanging a UFO over, you know, it's just unbelievable. But this was like the greatest special effect of all time. And in Hollywood, you can see where they did it. It was still on the tours where they had these walls that would come up in this little pond. It was just a little pond, but you couldn't see the walls. And then they would drain all the water out of the middle and the tour bus would drive through the middle of it right where they filmed it, and then they dressed it up on the screen. It was so cool as a kid watching Moses stand with his rod uplifted and God split the waters raised up. My friends, it didn't happen in Hollywood. That was special effects. But the extra special was when God really did it. There was no way over, was there? No way over. I mean, they come out with the clothes on their back and some barred stuff from the Egyptians, but they didn't have any boats. There were no John boats lined up down there, no yachts, no bass boats, no fishing boats. There was no cruise ships. It was just them and water. What would they do? There was no way over. So what does God tell them to do? Stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord. Some of us are running around. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just worried to death. What are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? And God is whispering in your spirit today, Mama. Be still. Dad. I, I don't know how we're going to make ends. I don't know how we're going to be able to pay for this. How we're going to be able to do this. Be still. Yeah, but I don't know what God wants for me. I don't know what uh, all this. And be still and know that he is God. I'm telling you, you can face whatever tomorrow holds when you know who holds it. Be still when there's no way over. There was no way around. It wasn't a pond. Y'all hear me? It wasn't the Evans County public fishing area where you could literally walk around it if you need. 
No. And there's a million of them. How are they going to do that? And, and I, I don't want to fail to remind you that Pharaoh was coming. They didn't have weeks to figure it out. They had minutes, maybe a couple of hours. As they could see in the distance, the, the, the dust rising from the wheels and the hoofs of the chariots and horses. There was no way around. What does God say? Moses, tell them, go forward. I, I, I don't know. Y'all ever use your holy imagination? God's given us an imagination. We ought to use it. I mean, when we're kid, we think when we get older, we can't imagine. Well, I do all the time because I don't know everything and how it did it in the expect exact time. But I can only imagine as Moses turned around, looking backward, he tells them, "Hey, be still and see the salvation of the Lord." Did I? Do I think that Moses completely understood? No, but I believe God gave him the spirit. Of, of holiness and the, and the spirit of courage. And I believe as he turned around, God began to open that water as Moses began to step in faith. Come on now. God didn't clear your pond for all life. He's cleared the lakes of today. Remember the Red Seas in your life where you thought physically, mentally, emotionally, Spiritually, whatever it is, you couldn't make it another day. I can't live in this marriage not one more hour. I cannot stay on this job one more day. I cannot stay on this earth any longer. I can't take it. There's no way around it. God says, go forward. You remember those times? I do. And then, as I mentioned, Pharaoh's standing behind him, so there's no way back. You know what we got to do sometimes? Keep moving. Keep moving. Now, I've got several war history nerds like me. We talk about it from time to time. And it just finished up last night a mini series called The Pacific. And there's another one called The Band of Brothers. And the thing that always gets me. The reason why they were called the greatest generation, when they unloaded off of those little boats, uh, those personnel carriers that left the big ships, and they'd put about 35 soldiers in it, and they would come up on the beaches with machine gun nests all over in France. It was Germans in Guadalcanal and in Iwo Jima and places like that. It was the Japanese, and they were going... And they said during World War II, a Marine's life expectancy, once he hit the beach, was seven seconds. Seven seconds. And the thing in every single one, every single one, and they talked about these so they talked to these soldiers before they died, because we've almost lost our whole World War II vets. The one thing it always, they always talk about is how we couldn't stay there. We were being shredded to pieces. There was no way back because the ocean boats had left. 
the only thing we could do is move forward and take those heels. We may die trying, but we had to move forward. No matter what island, no matter which theater, they had to move forward. I don't know what battle you're in today, but I'm here to tell you, there's no way around it. There's no way back. There's no way over, but there is God. Keep moving. And then remember, listen, Adrian Rogers said, the task ahead of us is never as great as the power behind us. I don't think y'all heard that. The task ahead of us, whatever you got to face this week, this month, this year, the rest of your life, the task ahead of you is never as great as the power of God who is behind us. Keep moving. But then verse 14, in the daytime, in the daytime also he led them with the cloud. And all the night with a light of fire. Listen, remember your wilderness. Remember your wilderness. Remember, God's brought you out of Egypt. He saved you. You've been through Red Sea moments in your life. But then there's this, these times in our life that become just a malaise. It's just wandering around aimlessly. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. You see, they had no direction in the day. They're just out there. And as far as you could see, on my original slide, that's a picture of the Negev Valley looking down below Masada. Actually, that's looking off the top of Masada. Looking down toward Egypt. That's what they saw. Just rocks. It all looked the same. It's like a, a whiteout in a snowstorm. It all looks the same. So what would they do? Where would they go? How would they do it? God came and he said, I will lead you with a cloud. The most asked question as a pastor that I get is how do you know when God is leading you? How do you know when it's God? How do you know when God's speaking to you? Listen, sometimes, as I've said before, God is silent, but he's never absent. Are we looking for him and his works? Are we looking for that? Are we looking for that cloud in the midst of our life? Sometimes he's not going to draw it out with the clouds. It's simply going to be a little cloud. For Elijah, it was a cloud so small, his servant said it's about the size of a man's hand. Way up over Haifa, looking off of Mount Carmel. God wants to lead you if you'll just pay attention. They had no direction in the day, just aimlessly wandering around. And listen, they say that ignorance is bliss. Well, I've met some of the happiest people on earth. We think, well, if I don't know it, then I don't have to worry about it. But the Bible tells us that as believers we'll give an answer for even every idle word we speak, much less the things we do or didn't do according to the economy of God. 
You need direction in your life. Look for God's cloud. But then they had no discernment in the night. Now it's one thing to wander around aimlessly in the daytime. But have you ever been out? I was talking with uh, someone the other day about snipe hunting. How many of you ever been snipe hunting without a gun? That was a rite of passage, especially if you were a royal ambassador in the local Baptist church. No grace. We'd have an RA camp out, and our, you know the first one or two, and you didn't know you went. They said, hey, we're going to go snipe hunting. I thought, well, hunting, that sounds fun. And so they'd get out croaker sacks. They'd get out some kind of bag. And they'd come and they'd sit out pots and pans. And they'd say, all right, everybody, everybody that hadn't been, grab you a sack and grab you a pot or a pan. And you go out there, or all the leaders grab the pans, you grab a sack, and we're going to take you out there and we're going to drive the snipe to you. None of us was smart enough to say, what's a snipe? They actually exist. They're birds, much like a quail or a woodcock, but with a long, long bill. And they would put us out there with a sack, and we we're supposed to be real quiet. Stand there with a sack. And they're going to beat and bang on those pots, and they're going to drive, but we can't have any lights because the snipe see it, and they'll run off. And so we'd just stay out there in the dark. And all the leaders inside drinking Coca-Colas and coffee, laughing their head off. How long are we going to leave them? Oh, I'll leave them a little longer. Go out there and beat on them pots a little bit and yell. And they'd go out there and bang, bang, bang. Cold snipe, cold snipe. And they'd go back inside and drink some more Coca-Colas. Eat pie and cake. And we're all standing out there in the dark. Well, after a couple of hours... He is, he got real dark in them woods, and you're like, I don't see any light. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. Some of us are literally sitting in the midst, and we've let the world darken our lives. He said God sent them a fiery light that they may be able to see. Listen, the last Old Testament prophet, John the Baptist, Learning from the past, he looked forward and saw. John, John, that Old Testament prophet, looked backward at all the, listen, he was a, he was a Nazarite. He literally understood what, it, what the Levitical law meant to its very extreme. That's why he ate what he did and wore what he did and how he conducted himself. But God placed in his heart, knowing, looking back at that law, that there was one coming to fulfill it. Listen, John gave witness of that light. He said, I am not that light. But he is. Jesus is the light of the world. No matter what, Jesus is the light of the world. Are you stumbling in darkness? Have you forgotten who God is and what God has done? Have you forgotten that you were in Egypt? You were bound by sin, Jesus set you free. Have you forgot all the times you've come to the Red Sea moments 
And there was no hope to move forward. And God made a way. Are you wandering around aimlessly today? No direction in the day. No discernment at night. You don't know what to do, how to do it, where to go, what to do. I can assure you, God can help with that. So right now as we stand, number one, either you need, you need to remember where you're at in Egypt. You need to trust Jesus to bring you out of the bondage of sin, save you and set you free. Right now you have forgotten how God has got you through the hard times and you need to be reminded that we may move forward with His direction remembering what He's done for us in the past. You need to join Him. God's giving you direction. You need to be baptized to be obedient to the one who died for you. Let me ask you something. You believe Jesus died for you? Then why don't we live for Him? Why don't we serve Him today? Why don't we go forward with His direction and say, look what my God has done. If you come today, come now as we say, trust Jesus.